How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. And we are down to verse 29. And going through this, we see so many things, teachings, doctrines, principles, pictures, images, so much that the Lord has laid out for us to help us with our understanding, to help us out with our grasp of truth so that we could understand him more and more. Do you see the righteousness of God as illustrated through Christ and by his actions, his, his deeds, his works, his teachings, all these things, how he goes about stuff and as this there's so much and we have to learn how to study it we have to learn how to read how to study how to memorize and how to apply to ourselves for our own learning and thus the three principles as we talked about uh, the three points of bible study interpretation application demonstration the what the how the why of scripture what it specifically says the narrative of the text how it's being said and the specific words and the pictures and the images and how i compare what i'm reading with other aspects of the word of god and as well uh, is the why as in is uh we apply it to ourselves for our own learning so we see illustration interpretation application demonstration how to demonstrate what we've learned to apply it to ourselves to be always ready to give an answer to those who come and ask us so we see uh, just as this uh, uh, jesus was always ready to give an answer as well anytime someone would come up to him to talk to him or challenge him he would always have an answer and uh, sometimes as we even see the answer is walk away and that uh, silence is sometimes the most vocal answer you can ever give your opponents. And that's a hard one to learn, when just to not say anything. All right, so in Matthew chapter 20, we're down to verse 29. So grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. Grab your tea, grab your coffee. I remembered mine this time. Time to study the Word of God. throws me off every time if I forget my coffee. <laughs> All right. So good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining in, folks. Um, now, I don't know how long this one will be. Well, we'll see. I've uh, got a few things I want to talk about in this. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But it may not be a long one today, but I'm sure you don't mind. We normally go like five hours anyway, so. <laughs> All right. Matthew chapter 20. Okay, so backing up, we see uh, Jesus um, talking about, in, as you see in verse 18 and 19, flat out clearly explaining who he is why he's come and we've seen this multiple times through our studies of this and all the other gospels and especially here in matthew we see so much of what jesus says and does is just flat out proofs of his deity flat out proofs ex explanations of his person it, it doesn't line up with anyone else of any other thing 
and just by looking at what he says just by looking at what he does and looking at what he's fulfilling it is abundantly clear he is god in the flesh you would have to monkey with scripture flat out change the very definitions and meanings you would have to uh, just outright omit and change and modify scripture for it to say something else you would have to be so unbelievably ignorant of the word of god either uh, either uh, just unknowingly or deliberately to say and teach that jesus is michael the archangel or he's just some prophet or just some holy man or some other thing but if we take a look what the word of god flat out says take scripture just face value what it says is what it means you see that jesus is the christ the mighty god manifested in the flesh and we're going to look at more of that today so we see jesus <clears throat> again talk uh, talking to uh all the people um in uh, verses 18 and 19 uh explaining to his disciples how he'd be betrayed he'd be condemned and deliver uh, deliver him up to be scourged and crucified and third day he should rise again explaining who he is and we can compare that with the old testament with the prophecies of the christ of his work and with his deeds and all the things he's going to be doing and what he's coming to accomplish that you clearly see by the prophecies even in the old testament it's not talking about establishing an earthly kingdom but rather he's coming for sin he's coming uh, for spiritual reasons not physical and uh, we see the discussion with the disciples and all of this about greatness and about service about ministering to one another uh, and not to elevate yourself and to take take all of our own preconceptions ideas and things and bring it to christ and uh, allow him to give us the understanding so he finishes up all of this and in verse 29 and as uh, they're de- as they departed from jericho a great multitude followed him all right so huge multitude again great multitude i always love it when it says this because it really plays on your imagination the size of the crowd i'm always talking about this that the movies always undersell it (laughs) the movies the shows always undersell this and that uh, they always show when jesus goes there would just be a little pocket of people just a little handful or something or maybe a hundred people in one area or something but no (laughs) the bible regularly talks about huge multitudes and masses of people um where entire cities the whole area would come out to meet him entire cities like multiple cities would all empty out and come to meet him they never show that never show that and as they departed from jericho a great multitude followed him and behold two blind men sitting by the wayside that when they heard that jesus passed by so so we just got to use our sanctified imagination here jesus walking with his disciples and this huge massive crowd is following along and all this and huge hubbub and these blind men sitting on the side they have no idea what exactly is going on they can't see anything and so they're asking the crowd what's going on what's going on what's going on 
we compare this with one of the other Gospels, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth passes by. And these blind men, now, it, the scripture talks about the fame of Jesus went throughout all the land. It went so far, went out into the Gentile nations, the far, far-reaching Gentile nations, and we would see Greeks were coming down even into Israel asking specifically to see Jesus. His fame was going throughout the world. The, the, as we see, millions of people across Israel over the over the span of the ministry of Christ, millions of people were being affected, and, and they were taking it everywhere. To telling everyone about Jesus, everything, everyone about what he's saying, what he's doing, all of this. So his fame was going throughout all the land. So everybody knew. Herod knew, the Romans knew, the Greeks knew, the Jews knew. Every was going everywhere. So the blind men and all of these, of course, would have been hearing the stories. They would have been hearing the accounts of what Jesus was doing, how he's standing up against the Pharisees, about how he's raising people from the dead and giving sight to the blind, and how he's healing the sick and casting out devils, he's, how he turned the water to wine and he fed the thousands and all this stuff, and about Lazarus, he raised Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead, dead for multiple days, he rose to life again. So they would have been hearing all of this. But being poor beggars, blind beggars, on the side of the road, they didn't really have much to their ability to travel or to hunt Jesus down, to try to find him. So uh, they're, they're just kind of left with just hearing the stories. And the other point that I want to make out as well, as we understand that God doesn't do flippant things. Everything that the Lord does is calculated, specific, direct. There's a reason why he does everything that he does. Everything that he says. That nothing that God says or does is for just a flippant reason. So when we consider this, Jesus passes by. Was this accidental? Is this circumstantial he just happened is this straight up happenstance he just happened to walk along this way and that where these blind men were did jesus just happened to come across that that uh, one funeral procession where the poor widow was heading out to bury her son and jesus met the, the funeral procession and he raised the boy to life again is Jesus just happened to pass by these other areas? What about the, the woman with the issue of blood that touched the hem of his garment? Did he just happen, just choose any, meeny, miny, mo? Okay, I just want to, I'll go this road today. Did he just do that? Just pick a random road? Or is every path, every direction, everything that he, that he does is specific? It's specific. So Jesus is walking by these blind men on purpose. Why? Because of what happens. Because of what happens. Because of what they say. Because of what they say. Look at this. So as Jesus passes by, behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. And Jesus with it, with his uh, procession here, the disciples and all the rest of the people. Now, it doesn't say it, but 
if I can use my sanctified imagination, I personally picture Jesus walking by and as being God, he sees all things, knows all things, but I'll, I would bet you he would have looked over just at the corner of his eye. He would see those blind men sitting there and he'd be smiling because he knows what's coming. Because Jesus knows what's going to happen and he's smiling and he says, waiting. He's waiting as he's talking to others or whatever else. He's walking. He walks past the blind man. He starts smiling because he knows what's going to happen. And he's waiting. He's waiting. And, and the blind men are reaching out and saying, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And they say, it's Jesus. Jesus passes by. And when they heard that Jesus passed by, they cried out. They didn't just exclaim. They, just, they didn't just start talking amongst themselves. They didn't say, oh, wait, what? No, they started shouting. To cry out is to lift up your voice and bellow out. So to be louder than the din that's going on around them. So that everyone can hear. So that Jesus would be able to audibly hear them clearly over all the crowd and the noise. Have you ever been in a place where there's tons and tons and tons of people? Uh, years ago, uh, me and my family and my friends went, uh, went to this one city where they were having a monster truck rally. And now the trucks themselves were insanely loud. But when the trucks weren't running, there was all the noise of the people. And I've been to other places, other events where there's thousands and thousands of people. And it is loud. Loud. Uh, loud. All the people are just milling around shoulder to shoulder. And it is noisy. You nearly have to yell to each other to be able just to hear each other. It's so loud. And it would be like that. A great multitude thronging around Jesus walking with Jesus down the road it would have been really loud so how loud do you think these blind men cried out they'd be shouting at the top of their lungs they'd be trying to drown out the din so Jesus would hear them and look at this when they heard that Jesus passed by they cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. All right. I'll come back to that. And the multitude rebuked them. They're shouting out, O Lord, thou Son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And they're shouting, and at the same time as we see, that they're, they're standing up. They're drawing attention to themselves. They're, quotation marks, disturbing the crowd. Oh man, there's so many different angles I can take with this one. Lord help me, which way should I go with this? One point at a time. Okay. One point at a time. O Lord, thou son of David. 
Now, it's not so much of what they said. It's how they said it. That's the thing here. It's not so much of what they said that wind up getting the multitude rebuking them. It's how they said it. Because look at this. It says, and the multitude rebuked them. Told them off. Keep silent. Stop talking. What are you doing? You're disrupting. You're being too loud. You're yelling. <laughs> You're yelling. And the, the crowd here is being disturbed by this. They don't like this. They don't, they don't want this being published in this way. What you think, keep it to yourself. Then, man, there's so many different ways you could take this. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. Be silent. Be silent. Mind your business. Keep it to yourself. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more. They cried the more. They started shouting even more, even louder. They're just taking deep breaths and just letting it rip. Shouting for the hills. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And yes, as uh, one comment here, just about how many people treat the homeless nowadays hasn't changed exactly we also see this because look they, they weren't prominent citizens of of society they weren't rich people they weren't powerful individuals these were poor blind beggars that are shoved into the corner shoved into the shadows shoved out of the cities and and they're mistreated and ignored and everything else but i'll let you know one thing mm. It was John the Baptist, a poor, powerless individual who owned nothing, lived like a beggar. He owned nothing. He had camel skin girdle is all he had. He ate grasshoppers and wild honey. And it was a poor, wild man, homeless, wild man that was the, the, uh, that, that was the proclaimer of the Christ Messiah. It, that God chose John the Baptist, a homeless, poor preacher who had nothing to be the to, to be the announcer of the Christ Messiah to Israel, the one who called in, heralded in the Christ Messiah. Think about that. And we see it again, the Lord using these two blind beggars to be the heralds of Christ again. How the Lord loves the poor. The Lord loves the homeless. The Lord cares for and loves them. And even it puts in here how we should help the homeless, help the poor and all of this. And we could learn from them. We could learn from them. Watching many videos about uh, people go out and help the poor and the homeless in the streets. And how, how often, so many times you see that, that, that they're so humble. They're so meek and content. Like they're, they're literally living in a cardboard box and they have nothing. And the guy comes up, asks them, is there anything that you need? And they're like, oh, maybe a bottle of water. 
Like, they're just, they're so content. And you have to, like, pry it out of them. What would you like kind of thing. And it, it it's amazing. You see the humility here. But these ones, these ones, they didn't care. These, these poor blind beggars, they couldn't care less what the multitude said. And that's something we could learn. We fear man way too much. We care what others think way too much. We wind up censoring ourselves, censoring our witnessing, censoring our evangelism. The preachers sometimes censor from the pulpit for the fear of man, the fear of the government, the fear of retribution, all the rest of it. But when people start telling us to keep it to ourselves, stay quiet, keep it to yourself, you don't need to be doing that, we should be bellowing it out that much more. The Lord says in his word that we are to lift up our voices like a trumpet to declare the truth from the rooftops, from the mountaintops, bellowing out the truths of God. Couldn't care less what other people think. But look at these guys. These guys have mercy on us, O Lord, the son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more saying have mercy on us O lord the son of david mercy of god they were shouting about the mercy of god and not only were they shouting about the mercy of god which is the grace of god but what else were they also shouting here look at this what else were they also shouting O lord master thou son of david what else are they shouting son of david in this context specifically with lord son of david do you know what that means do you know what these with these blind men were shouting what they were screaming from the top of their lungs they were ignoring and fighting against the multitudes by proclaiming the truths of god they were shouting and screaming about the mercy and the grace of god and that jesus is the messiah Lord, Son of David is a term specifically for the Christ Messiah. So they were screaming at the top of their lungs so all the multitude could hear it that Jesus is the Christ Messiah and Jesus brings grace and mercy. Look at that. The Lord, yet again, uh, chose, uh, chose uh, poor preachers poor preachers to proclaim and shout the goodness of God just as the Lord chose it chose poor ignorant fishermen and turned them into the preachers of God so that they confounded the Sanhedrin you see this oh man there's so much here but I want to look at something here son of David son of David have mercy on us O Lord thou son of David how is Jesus the son of David how is he the son of David? What do, what do the scriptures say about this? Well, if we go over to Matthew chapter 22, just for a moment, Jesus even asks the Pharisees about this because the Pharisees are all worked up about, uh, about everything anyways. So we see that Jesus actually uh, decides to ask them a question because they're being relentless in asking Jesus questions. So Jesus asked them a question. And Jesus 
in, in Matthew 22, verse 41. When the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? As in the prophecies of the Christ that should come, the Messiah, the Christ, the, the Spirit of God that should come. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? How will he come? How will he be known? Of what lineage? Where where can we find him? Is the question. The, um, the, whose, whose son is he? They said unto him, Well, he's the son of David. That he'll be of the lineage of David. And Jesus says to them, Well, if he's the son of David, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord L-O-R-D, all uppercase, meaning Jehovah God. Verse 44, that Jehovah said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? If David calls the Messiah Lord, how is the Messiah then David's son? If he is just of the seed and lineage of David, well, how is he David's son then? But if this one is also above David, greater than, and is the Lord, how is how will that work? What What is Jesus insinuating by this? God come in the flesh of, this, of the seed of David. Why does Jesus ask this? Well, again, Jesus here, what he's quoting from is Psalms 110. Psalms 110, verse 1, The Lord saith unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. See, what Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to think about is to put all of the pieces together, all, all of the details, all the clues, all the things it talks about, about how Jesus will come, where Jesus, uh, where the Messiah will be born, and the and about the the names of the Christ Messiah and the work of the Christ Messiah. How he'll preach, he'll be prophet, priest, and king. He'll be working miracles, opening the eyes of the blind, and giving uh, hearing to the deaf, and opening the tongue of the mute, and delivering from the prisons, and all this stuff, and uh, and delivering from the enemy, uh, all the stuff that he'll be doing. He's putting all the pieces together for them. So how is Jesus the son of David? Well, we see, if you take a look at Matthew chapter 1, you'll see a genealogy. That's the genealogy from Joseph. So going from Joseph all the way back. Luke chapter 3 is the genealogy of Jesus from Mary. And so we see the genealogy of both Joseph and Mary in the Bible and then going back. And you can see by these things and putting it together how Jesus is a direct descendant by this from David. And we see by adoption, uh, Joseph's son by adoption, Joseph, Joseph himself is of the line of David specifically directly and therefore according to jewish law jewish tradition of the throne of israel the crown of david being passed down that joseph of the adopted father of jesus joseph this joseph actually is the rightful reigning king of israel by descent 
And because uh, Jesus is the adoptive son, the first bo uh, firstborn in the in the family, the eldest son, that by tradition, when Joseph dies, the crown is handed to Jesus. And since Jesus is still alive, he is by right, by descent, by law, by tradition of the Jewish throne of Israel, Jesus is the actual rightful reigning king of Israel. But we also take a look at these things, how Micah chapter 5 verse 2, he's born in Bethlehem, the city of David, by direct descent of the bloodline of David. And putting all the other things together, we see how, how this is. And this is, uh, according to all the scriptures, who the Messiah Christ is and how he will come and the things that he will do when you put all the clues together. So when these poor blind beggars are screaming out, son of David, they are proclaiming to the crowd that Jesus is the Christ Messiah. And some people in the crowd don't like that. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the biblical Jesus. Oh, if they stood up and started screaming at uh, some other titles, other things of watering down the reality or or screaming some other as a Jesus, thou prophet, you know, people wouldn't care. Jesus, thou holy man. Jesus, thou Michael the archangel. Jesus, thou prophet. No one would care. But the moment you start declaring who Jesus really is, the crowd goes wild. The crowd gets really upset. The devils really start to go nuts. And we and the devils will will move people in the crowd to come at you, to try to try to correct you, to try to upset you, to try to uh, get you off the mark, try to distract, hinder, oppress in some way, some form, because the, the many in the crowd do not want to hear the truth. And the devils will take advantage of that. They'll say all kinds of things. They'll try to put you down. They'll try to minimize you. They'll try to disrespect you. But you ignore it and you keep going. You keep proclaiming the truth. You keep proclaiming the truth. So they were shouting so much the more. Verse 31 cried out so much the more. And that's exactly what we do. When the world comes down on us and tries to censor us, delete us, hinder us, oppose us, get in the way to try to stop our preaching, what should we do? Should we bow down to the oppression of man? Should we bow to the fear of man? Should we censor and alter our preaching all because that some people want to go to hell more comfortably? What should we do? Cry out that much the more. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare the truth of God. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And verse 32, Jesus stood still. As soon as they, they did it, it wasn't the first time they shouted it out. It wasn't the first time they shouted it out that Jesus stopped. He stopped to address them when they cried out that much the more because that's what pleases the lord that's what he wants to see happen this is what the lord wants he wants to see the truth of god being proclaimed over the fear of man in the face of the opposition to keep crying it out just like john the baptist did and they cried out that much the more have mercy on us O lord thou son of david and Jesus stood still and called them 
and he called them to him. Now note, note, note something here, what we always see throughout the scriptures, that when people would address Jesus, addressing him in his deity by calling him the names of God, falling before him, worshiping him, Jesus never corrected any of them. He never redirected it. He never opposed it. But rather, when people would come and would address him in terms of deity, or they would worship him, he always accepted it. He always blessed it, and he never opposed it. But whenever we see in scripture, angels, prophets, or the, the holy men of God, uh, and pe- people would come and fall before them or whatever else, they would always stop it. They would always redirect. They would always oppose that. No, 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 don't do that to me. I'm, I'm just servant. I'm just a man like you. And they would always direct it to God. They would always oppose that. They would never accept it. Look at what you see here. Jesus, the son of David, calling Jesus the terms of the Christ Messiah. And Jesus stood still and called him and says, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And just as we saw earlier, where the mother of the sons of Zebedee came and worshipped him, came and worshipped him, and had a request, and Jesus says, What wilt thou? Again, we see the attitude of coming in humility and meekness and in, in, in uh, addressing him biblically, in fear and love and honor. Will the Lord hear your request? And he, he will hear it, and he will address it. And, and uh, we see we bring all things before the Lord according to his will, which we talked about in the last video. And what what's their request? To be powerful? To have fame and fortune? To be elevated? Or what what's, what is their request? To have big bank accounts and all the rest? No. That the Lord would take vengeance on enemies? No. And they said unto him, Now again, this is in front of all the multitude. They couldn't care what others think. And we see by this as well an example of our worship should not be altered all because there's the presence of others. We worship him and we talk about him and we address him in sincerity and not altering it for the presence of others. Not caring what others think. Then they fall before the Lord. And, and Jesus stood still and called them unto him, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And we see in this, there's a bit of a twofold. A bit of a twofold that we can take by this. Because again, we see Elisha standing with his servant in the gate of the city, seeing all the enemy that's coming to encamp against them. And the servant in fear says, Master, look at them. We'll be destroyed. And, and Elisha says, Lord, open my servant's eyes that he may see. And a servant looked up and saw round about Elisha a mountain full of fiery chariots. Eyes being opened. We see Jesus uh, healing another blind man. And it, we see the people, the Pharisees, all of them come and ask him, How were thine eyes opened? How were thine eyes opened? Now, another one, Jesus, 
was healing a blind man, Jesus put his hands upon the, the man's eyes and only partially healed his eyes. And he asked him, says, what do you see? What do you see? And the man opened his eyes and he's squinting and he says, I see men like trees walking. It was just very blurry, very hard to see actually what was going on. Just form figure just a little bit and couldn't quite tell. And Jesus put his hands on his eyes and healed him fully and says, what do you see? And he cries out, I can see, I see clearly. I see clearly. Some of these in the multitude, their eyes were not fully opened. They couldn't see Jesus for who he truly was. And they rebuked the blind men. In their blindness, in their ignorance, as the blind lead the blind, that, that, that they were opposing the, these poor beggars. Even though they were physically blind, their spiritual eyes were wide open. Their spiritual eyes were wide open. And they could see clearly. They could see Jesus better blind than the multitude could. Do you see this? These beggars could, could understand, they could see that they knew Jesus more. They saw him clearer than the multitude did. And here they are asking that their eyes would be open, their physical eyes. And what do we see by this? The Lord blesses, the, the Lord honors those who honor him. The Lord honors those who honor him. They said, Lord, that our eyes would be opened. But their eyes are already open better than they ever could be. And by this we see that we, we should not judge by what we physically see. Judge not after the appearance. It's all by spiritual. We don't look at people by what we visibly see with our eyes. By ocular vision, but rather by spiritual vision. We look at people through the eyes of God. We look at people through the lens of the word of God. We don't look at people by, by our own physical eyes. We don't look at this world by what we physically see and by what physically is going on, but rather we judge all things by the word of God, by what the word of God says. Lord, that our eyes may be opened spiritually. Many Christians need their spiritual eyes opened because they are so content on judging and seeing and observing and discerning by what they physically see, by what they physically experience. They're judging by what they experience, by their personal opinions. We could learn from these blind men, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus had compassion on them. This Jesus, that they proclaimed to the crowd. They, they told the crowd, look, this is Jesus, son of David, the Christ Messiah that the prophet spoke of. This is he whom, they, whom Isaiah spoke of, of, of Micah spoke of, of Jeremiah. This is the one. This is the one that should come. This, as John the Baptist said, is the Lamb of God who should take away the sin of the world. This is the one of Isaiah 53. Let's take a look at some of these things. What is the man that these blind men were proclaiming? Who is Jesus according to the word of God? Who is this Jesus that the multitude will rebuke? 
Who is this Jesus that the multitude wants to alter and change? The one, the, the, the Jesus that the world absolutely hates. The Jesus that'll get you arrested. The Jesus that'll get you censored. The Jesus that'll get you canceled. The Jesus that the devils hate. Who is that Jesus? What does the word of God say? As Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 15, Jesus says, But whom say ye that I? Some say thou art John the Baptist. Some say thou art the Elias. Some say thou art the prophet. Some say, some say, some say. But whom say ye that I am? And this, and I'm going to read a study here that I have. And this is the question. This is the question, isn't it? This is the question of so many, from atheists to Catholics to Muslims to Buddhists and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Hindus, and many even professed Christians have their trouble have trouble put, putting a finger on the exact explanation of who Jesus is. You see, many will say, "Well, Jesus is the Son of God," and they'd be right at that, but he's not God. And they're wrong about that. Many say he's the son of God. Many say he's the Christ. He is Lord. That Jesus is Lord and all the rest of this. Well, he is Lord. He is son of God. He is the Christ. But he's also much, 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 much more. Much more. What else? There is one specific thing about Jesus that sets him apart from all other belief systems. And not understanding this one specific thing can even cost you your eternal soul. Because if we go over to John chapter 8 just for a moment. John chapter 8. Jesus explains this. This is one of the most important things in the entire Bible. One of the most important things. You can even confess Christ. Believe on Jesus. Uh, uh, believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day. You could believe all of that. from Truly, from the heart, by grace, through faith. Believe all of that and still go straight to hell. You're like, what? Wait, what? Because if you don't believe that Jesus is God, your Jesus is a sham. Your Jesus is a deceiver. If he is not God. Jesus flat out says this in John 8. John 8 verse 24. Jesus says I said therefore unto you. That you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am. You will die in your sins. And the I am in the Koine Greek is ego emi. Which means the always existing one. Jesus is literally saying. If you do not believe that I am God. You will die in your sins. The deity of Jesus Christ is an absolute mandatory requirement for salvation. And I cannot stress that enough. And we're going to look at absolute, undeniable proofs of this. Not understanding this one thing about Jesus will cost you your eternal soul. Jesus is not an angel. He is not Michael the archangel. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16 for verily, he took not on him the nature of angels. He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. 
Jehovah's Witnesses, and Seventh-day Adventists believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. It's right in their doctrinal statements. It's right in the, 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 the catechism of the founders of their religion. Charles Taze Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses and Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventists flat out teach that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, Hebrews 2.16. Even the prophets spoke of the arrival, identity, location, and work of the Messiah. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, we even see David speaking about this again. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath, uh, who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? And so we see here he's addressing God, right? But what does the scripture say? What is his name and what is his son's name? What is his son's name? If thou canst tell. Proverbs 30 verse 4. God and the son of God. And we see in the scriptures. If you take a look at Hebrews. And you take a look at John chapter 1. We see that it was the word of God. The son of God. Jesus that made all things. That made all things. That the Bible flat out says. And I'll prove it by quoting scripture. We see, as the prophets spoke of this one that would come, the son of David, son of God, son of David, the Christ, the Messiah, Isaiah 7.14, Micah 5.2, Isaiah 9.6, Isaiah 53, Jeremiah 31.22, all of these speak of this, and we'll address this. Isaiah 7.14, the Messiah Christ will be born of a virgin. Virgin birth. Now, virgin does not just mean young woman as many atheists and agnostics and skeptics will try to tell you those trying to uh, try to subvert this aspect well virgin just means young woman well the, uh, oh, that doesn't make sense because you see in jeremiah 31 22 it says the lord will do a new thing in the earth a new thing a woman will compass a man means bypass a woman will bypass a man and will give birth this is a new thing never been done before but a virgin just means young woman how is that a new thing how is that a new thing but rather we see virgin untouched pure never known man a virgin shall conceive shall bring forth a son and thou shall call his name emmanuel isaiah 7 14 jeremiah 31 22 and we see in uh, Isaiah 9, 6, the child born, son given, the son, son of God, son of man, son of David. This one that will come, Isaiah 9, 6, what are his names? The prophets even spoke of this. The prophets addressed this by direct inspiration of the spirit of the living God. And this is why I also love using the prophets, uh, because Muslims, for example, they, they'll say, well, the Christians corrupted the New Testament. But it says in the Quran, that it says, O ye Christians and Jews, we do believe in the prophets like as you do. So I'm like, great, you believe in the prophets? Let me show you. Isaiah 7, 14, Jeremiah 31, 22, Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 53. And then they don't know what to do. 
because Isaiah 9, 6 says the child born son given, they'll be born of the virgin by the power of God. This child born son given, the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This one that will, be, will come will, will be God manifested in the flesh which we will address so isaiah 9 6 the messiah christ is called the mighty god everlasting father isaiah 53 specifically lays out the work of the christ messiah the work now he'll he'll, he'll, he'll come and, and what he's coming to do the messiah christ will be put to death for our sins it says that specifically and that his days will be prolonged the resurrection specifically we see in psalm 22 it talks about this uh, as well as other passages in scripture talk about this crucifixion and how how they they will cast lots upon his vesture just as the roman soldiers did over the vesture of jesus they cast lots and about how how the the he'll, he'll, the, the people go around him like dogs um, barking at him and, and calling him out just the, uh, what happened how the sanhedrin mocked jesus on the cross and about how they pierced my hands and my feet. It, it, the Bible specifically outlays this. In the Old Testament. By the prophets. Jesus in the Gospels. Then we move to the Gospels and take a look at this one that was born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem. That's called the mighty God. That has the power of God over all things. This one the mighty God everlasting father in the flesh. Jesus in the Gospels says in my name cast out devils in my name cast out he doesn't say in the name of the father he doesn't say in any other name he says in my name that the name of jesus is mightier and that the name of jesus the devils run and flee in my name now do we cast out devils in the name of michael the archangel no do we cast out devils in the name of prophets or dead saints no we even see in the book of jude where uh, Jude even talks about this, it says, Michael the archangel, when disputing about the body of Moses, dared not bring a railing accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That Lucifer is more powerful than Michael the archangel. So if you believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel, your savior is less powerful than the devil. And you got a little bit of a problem. But we see in scripture where Satan came to tempt Jesus and three times Jesus rebuked him and cast him away. And then again on the road to Jerusalem through Peter, when Satan was trying to rebuke Jesus, Jesus silenced him and rebuked him and cast him away. And Jesus says, in my name cast out devils. Jesus is more powerful than Michael the archangel. But Lucifer is more powerful than Michael the archangel. Jesus is not Michael the archangel. In my name cast out devils and the temptation in the wilderness jesus rebuked satan and again when satan tried to rebuke christ through peter jesus said get thee behind me satan and then in the temptation in the wilderness we take a look at this in matthew chapter 4 and the temptation in the wilderness when satan was tempting jesus and satan is tempting jesus at one point jesus says it is written now hold up just for a second i would like you to answer this if you could in this temptation, the temptation of the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, 
who specifically was Satan talking to and tempting directly? Who was Satan specifically tempting in Matthew chapter 4? Who is he tempting? Who is Satan tempting? Because this is important. This is very, very important. Satan was tempting Jesus. Satan was tempting Jesus. If thou be the Son of God, if thou be the Son of God, if thou be the Son of God, Satan was tempting Jesus. Because we see here in Matthew chapter 4, in the temptation of the wilderness, Satan is tempting Jesus. Jesus says, Is it not written, Tempt not the Lord thy God? Tempt not the Lord thy God. In the temptation of the wilderness, Jesus claims to be God. He claims to be God. Satan is tempting Jesus. Jesus says, tempt not the Lord your God. Furthermore, we also see Jesus forgiving sins. Jesus forgiving sins. Angels cannot forgive sins. Mary can't forgive sins. Dead saints can't forgive sins. Prophets can't forgive sins. Popes, priests, kings can't forgive sins. Pastors, bishops, all these can't forgive sins. Priests can't forgive sins. Only God forgives sins. But Jesus forgave the sins of the man that, that, as he was let down by the bed by his friends. And Jesus forgave his sins. Jesus forgave the sins of the woman caught in adultery. Jesus forgave the sins of Mary who washed his feet with her tears. And we see we even see this as Jesus says, Sons, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the Pharisees piped up in their minds, says, Who is this one that doth blaspheme? There's none that can forgive sins but God. And Jesus turns and says, So you can see that I have the power to forgive sins as well as to, as to heal. He turned to the man, uh, the crippled man and says, Rise up, take up thy bed and walk. And he did. Proving. And Jesus specifically addressing us that he has power to forgive sins because who is he? God. Only God can forgive sins. God does not, God does not hand down the power of forgiveness, of redemption to lesser creatures, to created beings. Because as we see, Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, which we will prove by quoting direct scripture. We see Jesus in the Gospels specifically accepting worship. Now we talked about this. Let's look at this more. Jesus accepting worship of individuals. And it doesn't just mean uh, just veneration to be revered. No, no, this is worship like you would worship a deity. Jesus accepting worship of individuals. The wise men at his birth. The wise men came and they were filled with great joy and fell down and worshipped him. The mother of the sons of Zebedee fell down and worshipped him. The blind man fell down and worshipped him. The lepers worshipped him. Thomas, after the resurrection, worshipped him. And the disciples, after the resurrection, worshipped him. And Jesus always accepted it, always blessed it, and always acknowledged it, and never rejected it, never redirected it. He always accepted and blessed it and acknowledged it. 
And in John chapter 10, Jesus says he has power to lay down his life and take it up again. He has specific power over life and death. Angels don't. Jesus says he personally gives eternal life. He and I will give them eternal life. He doesn't say my father gives. He doesn't say someone else does. He says, I give eternal life. I have power to lay down my own life. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus specifically calling himself the great shepherd of Psalm 23. And if we go back and take a look at Psalm 23, what does it say? The Lord is my shepherd. No, it doesn't just say Lord. Go read Psalm 23 verse 1 again. Look at look at the word Lord. The word Lord is all uppercase. L-O-R-D. All uppercase. That means Jehovah God. Jehovah God is my shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my, my life for my sheep. For my sheep know me. Uh, I know them and, and they know me. And I give unto them eternal life. Jesus flat out claiming to be almighty God who gives everlasting life to all those who believe on him. In John 10, 27 to 28. In John chapter 4, verses 25 to 26, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And she says, we know that when the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, he'll teach us all things. Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus flat out claims to be the Christ Messiah of the prophets to the Samaritan woman at the well. And again, we go back. What did the prophets say? Almighty God. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we see Micah the prophet says that the Messiah Christ will be born in Bethlehem, the one whose ways are of old, even of everlasting. And if we take that passage, who, the one whose ways are of old, even of everlasting, translate that into Hebrew, what that literally means is born in Bethlehem, the, the, the always existing one. The always existing one will be born in Bethlehem. That means almighty God. Almighty God will be born in Bethlehem. Jesus says, Samaritan woman, I am the, the, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the always existing one. I am. Jesus claims to be the Christ Messiah. In John 4, 25-26, the Samaritan woman at the well, that, that is prophesied by Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 7, 14, Micah 5, 2, and all the rest. And in multiple multiple cases in john chapter 8 when jesus was talking to the pharisees we see uh, how many times is it eight uh, eight times i think it's eight times in john chapter 8 jesus personally claims the title i am he uses the i am title which is the name of almighty god he calls himself the i am multiple times in john chapter 8 and again we see I am means egoimi, which means the always existing one. The same name that Micah used in Micah 5.2, meaning the always existing one. The Pharisees knew this. The Pharisees even knew this. And we see at one point, the Pharisees picked up stones to stone Jesus. And Jesus says, for what good work do you stone me? They said, not for good work do we stone thee, but because thou being a man, makest thyself 
God. They knew exactly, specifically what Jesus was saying. And, and capitalizations are very important in the Bible. If you go back, you take a look that at the names that Jesus is claiming are capitalized. A mighty God of Isaiah 9, 6, God is capital G. Why is that important? Because that means in the actual Hebrew and the Greek, that means the God above all gods, almighty God, not just one of the lessers. Not a small G God, but capital G God, meaning the God above all gods, Almighty Lord. We see capitalizations are important. Father is capital F. Everlasting Father is capital F. That means Almighty God manifested in the flesh. We see Son, capital S, meaning the Son of God, according to Scripture, Son of David, Son of God, uh, the, the Messiah Christ. Jesus calls himself Almighty God multiple times throughout the scriptures. We see by this an angel or a prophet or a holy man cannot do the things that Jesus did. We see in Matthew chapter 28 verse 9. Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, after the resurrection, when the disciples are, are coming back from the empty tomb, Jesus meets them in the way, and Jesus appears before them. Jesus appears before his disciples, and Jesus says, all hail. Now, this is a call to reverence, a call to worship, a call to veneration. Jesus is inviting the people to, to hail him it says jesus says all hail and they come and fall before him and worship him jesus invites worship of himself claiming that he is god and, and inviting worship of himself people say where does jesus say i am god worship me matthew 28 verse 9 additionally the word of God says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is creator God. John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word is with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 1, 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The Son of God, the Word of God, the Lord God, Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, is the creator God. Hebrews eleven three. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that the things which, which are seen were not made of things which do appear, but rather it's by the power of the spoken word of God. God spoke. Colossians 1.16 For by him were all things created. Back up, you see, context is Jesus. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And furthermore, we also take a look how the name of Jesus is above all names. Now, many of you know this one. Philippians 2, 10 to 11. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth, things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you know that that passage specifically is cited three times in the Bible? 
Romans 14 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And again, one more time, but this time in the Old Testament. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, 22 to 23. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. And there is none else. I have sworn by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Wait a minute. It says in Philippians will be bowing at the name of Jesus and claiming the name of Jesus. Isaiah 45, 22, 23 says, I am God unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. At the name of Jesus, for Jesus is God. Now we take a look at one more, the word made flesh now we did already read john 1 let's look at it again john 1 1 to 2 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the word was god that is capital g god almighty god the word is god the same as in the beginning with god now john 1 verse 14 and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us God became flesh, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. So we see this. But if we actually take a look at some more. 2 Corinthians five nineteen, To wit that God was in Christ. I'm talking about Jesus. This is God manifested in the flesh, reconciling the world unto himself, Isaiah 53, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We already saw John 8, 24, Jesus claims the I am name of God. John chapter 10, 25 to 30, Jesus claiming to be the almighty Lord God as the shepherd and gives, uh, gives everlasting life. But here's a quick, quick question. If Jesus isn't God, then how does he grant eternal life to his followers? John 10, 25 to 30. I give unto them eternal life. But if Jesus isn't God, how does he give eternal life? Isaiah 9, 6. Again, mighty God, everlasting Father. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. God purchased the church with his own blood. God purchased the church with his own blood. But hold up, wait a minute. The Bible says God is spirit. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And no man hath seen God at any time and lived is what the Bible says. Okay, but if you go back, take a look in the Old Testament. How did God show himself to Abraham? When, it, when, when God and the two angels came to Abraham, that we see that, that the form of a veil covering is 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 created the same with the burning bush before moses the pillar of cloud the pillar of fire the shekinah glory cloud upon the tabernacle and temple they see a veil covering over the very form of god of his spirit and we see in see in here in philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 8 it where it literally talks about how god 
fashioned a body for himself that he indwelt. And he humbled himself unto the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, how Christ, the Messiah Christ, mighty God, fashioned a body for himself and indwelt that body. The body of Jesus is the body of God. Because spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. Spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. So God fashioned a body for himself so that he could. That's Philippians 2, 5 to 8. That's who Jesus is. God's body, God himself, as Jesus says to Philip. Philip says, Master, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus says, How long have I been with you, Philip, and you do not yet know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. God purchased the church with his own blood. Literally, just said right there in Acts 20, 28, that God purchases the church with his own body of his own blood. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, Jesus Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The entire fullness of all the power. The government should be upon his shoulder. He will have all the power of God. God fashioned his own body for himself and then God indwelt this body. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now let's look at some more. In John chapter 20 verses 28 to 29. John chapter 20 verses 28 to 29. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now let's look at this. Now why does he say this? This is after the resurrection. All the disciples are telling Thomas that Jesus is risen. We've seen him. And Thomas says, I will not believe until I see the nail prints in his hands and the spear hole in his eyes. I will not believe. And then Jesus appears and says, Thomas, behold my hands and my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas beholding, and Thomas answered, John 20, verses 20, 29. And Thomas says to Jesus, calling Jesus, Thomas says unto him, unto Jesus, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. When we put that together, my Lord and my God, Lord God, do you realize what Thomas is calling Jesus? Out of the mouth of Thomas, he flat out says that Jesus is Lord God, meaning Almighty Sovereign Jehovah God. That's what Thomas calls Jesus, Jehovah God. My Lord and my God. And what is Jesus' reaction to this? Jesus says to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus blesses him, accepts this, doesn't redirect it, doesn't correct him. Because Thomas is right. Thomas is right. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3:16. God was manifest in the flesh. And who was that? Jesus. Now look at this. God 
capital G, meaning God above all gods, meaning sovereign Lord Almighty God, was manifest in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. The living God, capital G, the living God, who is the Savior of all men. Who's that? That's Jesus. First John 5.20, my favorite verse in the Bible. First John 5.20, my favorite verse in the Bible. First John 5.20, and we know, and we know that the Son of God is come and have given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true even in his son jesus christ this is the true god and eternal life first john 5 20 flat out says jesus christ is the true god and eternal life god manifest in the flesh given us a name that is above all names at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear and that is jesus the christ all hail king jesus jesus is almighty sovereign lord god jehovah god yahweh elohim he is the god of moses the god of abraham the god of noah the god of elijah he's the god of the prophets he's the god of david he is the king of kings he is the sovereign lord he is the redeemer he is the almighty he is the great i am manifested in the flesh that's what the bible says the word of god the holy scriptures the holy writ the word of god flat out says jesus is almighty god and the bible also says if you don't accept that you will die in your sins because the deity of jesus christ is a mandatory requirement unto salvation and if you are hearing this just now and if you are convicted by this you didn't know this you weren't aware of all this but i'm telling you right now right where you are fall on your face before the lord and worship him the lord jesus and confess his name above all names lord jesus my god i believe confess the deity of christ Believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, for your salvation. That was God on the cross. That's God fashioned his own body. He, he, his body was broken for us. He shed his blood for us. He, he was put to death for us. He went to the grave for us. And God resurrected himself from the dead. As Jesus flat out says in John chapter 10, says, I have power to lay down mine own life and take it up again but the bible says that god raised jesus from the dead well how does that work because it's god almighty inhabiting that body that's his body he resurrected himself from the dead our lord resurrected himself from the dead that's what the bible says that's what the scriptures say. Believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. This is what scripture says. Don't you ever let anyone else ever tell you that he's anything less. He doesn't need the help of his mother. Now that you see this and understand this, now you see the absolute just ridiculousness of Roman Catholicism. He doesn't need the help of his mommy. Mary has no part in this. She is not the grand redemptress. She is she is not the re, uh, a redeemer. She is not full of grace and truth. 
the Bible says that Jesus is full of grace. Let's take a look at John chapter 1. I want to show you something how, how the Catholics blaspheme Jesus. Look at this. In, in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 14, John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. That full of grace and truth is a title of God is a title of God and the Catholics take that and place it on Mary and say she's full of grace Mary full of grace that's blasphemy for God is the only one full of grace full of truth for he is our Redeemer he is our Savior he is our King this is what the Word of God says this is the one that these poor blind beggars understood they saw this they knew this they knew more about jesus than the sanhedrin did they knew more about jesus than, he, than even the rabbis in the synagogues did these poor blind beggars knew more about jesus they saw him more clearly than all of the elite and all the educated and all those these poor blind beggars understood who jesus was and they proclaimed him he is the son of david to the crowd he is the king of kings he is the messiah christ he's almighty god lord god jesus son of david have mercy on us that's what these beggars were saying that's why jesus honored them that's why jesus opened their eyes and we take a look at this take a look at this in matthew chapter 20 verse 34 so jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him how could jesus do this how could he do this well let's go back to exodus let's go back to exodus and in exodus chapter 4 exodus chapter 4 when Moses Moses says says to the Lord on Mount Sinai, when God told him to go and tell the people, Moses says, but if I go and tell them that the God of their fathers hath sent me, they will say, well, what is his name? What, what shall I say? What name shall I tell them? And the Lord says, tell them, I am hath sent you. The same I am name that Jesus personally claimed in the Gospels. And then Moses, we see, in full of fear about going to tell the people, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, Jehovah God, all uppercase L-O-R-D, just the same as, as Psalm 23, the same name that Jesus claims. And Moses says unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Verse 11, and the Lord, Jehovah, all uppercase, and Jehovah says to him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the deaf, the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Who has made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb, the mute, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach you what thou shalt say. Who makes the blind and who makes the seeing? Who makes the blind and who makes the seeing? Who is this one now? Who is this one that had compassion on these blind men, touched their eyes and gave them sight? Can angels open the eyes of the blind? No. 
Can prophets or holy men? No. Who gives sight? God. Jehovah God. Lord God. Who's the one here now that laid his hands on and immediately gave them sight? Lord God. All of the miracles through the Gospels are a proclamation of his deity. His teaching, his working, his miracles, the name claims, the deity claims. It's all there. If you search the scriptures, you see that Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God, manifested in the flesh. And like these guys, we should be lifting up our voices and shouting it from the rooftops. And ignore the crowds that rebuke us. Matthew chapter 20. You know that I you know what I think that deserves mic drop. Alright, there you go. That's Matthew chapter 20. So as we see, the scriptures are so clear. It's so abundantly clear. And I'm telling you, there is so much more in the word of God that proves his deity. There's so many other passages that prove his deity, but these are some of the some of the clearest and most most uh, well known. I just wanted to share with you. Who is this one that these poor blind men were preaching, were proclaiming? Who, who is this one that they understood, they believed? We're going to see these guys in heaven. Those blind men, we're going to see them in heaven. And you're going to be able to go to them and ask them, what was it like the moment he moved his hands away from your eyes and your eyes opened for the first time, you beheld the face of the Son of God? The first thing they see, that's the other thing, the first thing they see with their visible eyes, with their physical eyes, was the face of Jesus smiling down at them. Yeah, could you imagine? Could you imagine just that moment? Now, again, I'm using my sanctified imagination. All right, I'm using my sanctified imagination, but I 100% believe, I personally believe that when Jesus opened their eyes, he started laughing laughing out of joy jesus started laughing out of joy because of the sheer reaction of the blind men jesus is the god of joy he's the god of joy and when these guys their eyes are open and they see for the first time and like this and they could see color and form and they see everything and they're seeing the face of jesus he's smiling down at them honoring his preachers these poor blind beggars, now no longer blind, now these poor beggars now who can see, who preach the, the, the name of Jesus, even in their opposition, even in their hardship, they proclaimed the truth of Christ, even in their tribulation, even in their tri trials and troubles. They were poor, they were blind, they were cast out, sitting on the side of the road with nothing, but faithful in the preaching, faithful to the truth declaring the truth of God even in this state and God honored them and they be and the first thing they got to see was the face of God oh I could just keep going but there you go you see this this is what it this is about this is who our Jesus is this is who my Jesus is is this your Jesus is this your Jesus is this your Jesus the word of God flat out says, Jesus is God.
That's who he is. Do you believe that? So I'm going to ask you again. Do you believe that? Do you personally believe in the deity of Jesus Christ? Have you believed upon this name? This name. Above all names. Because he's God. Have you bowed before this name? Have you believed upon this one? Have you repented and believed the gospel of this one? For there are many false Jesuses out there. Jesus even said, many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many, many false Christs, many false gospels. But what is the true gospel of the true name of the true Christ, of the true cross? The Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ. Have you believed upon him, confessed him? Have you called upon him and told him? Have you told him that you believed in this Jesus? Have you told him? Make sure you do. Let today be the day of salvation. And if you're just hearing this for the first time now, and if this convicts you and you have called upon him here now, please let us know. Let us know so we can pray for you, so we can rejoice with you. As scriptures say, when one comes to the Lord, all the angels of heaven rejoice. You cause, you cause such a ruckus in heaven, they all jump with joy. And the Lord reaches over with his mighty hand, smiling, writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. They have the book of life and the Lamb's book of life. Those who are born again. Those who are born again, bought by the blood of our Lord God Almighty. That's what scriptures say. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord and the power of His might. The living God, who is the Savior of all men. The true God and eternal life. This is who He is. Amen. So with that, we see the absolute just raging absurdities of all of the other belief systems. We see what they're doing. Attacking the very person of Jesus from the Catholics, Seventh-day Adventists, to the Jehovah's Witnesses, to the Mormons, to the Muslims, he's just some prophet, to the Hindus and the Buddhists, he's just some holy men, or maybe one of the many lesser gods. They reduce his sovereignty. They strip him of his full deity. Who would want to do that? Who would want to reduce the person, reduce the deity of Jesus Christ, reduce his power, reduce his person? Who would want to do that? That is an attack of the enemy. That's attack of the devil because the, because the word of God flat out says who he is and only the devil would want to change that. False Christ, false apostles, deceitful workers preaching damnable heresies to, uh, to uh, uh, preach a lie, to deceive the people, to delude them and so that they will die in their sins. And this is why we see in Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, where it says, Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord, but Lord, Lord! But to them, he was some other Jesus. And we say, but Lord, Lord, have we not done? Have we not done? Have we not done? And they're depending on their works. Nowhere do they say, have we not believed in thy name? Because what they've done is they've reduced Jesus and elevated their works because their Jesus needed help to save them. From the black Hebrew Israelites to everyone else, it reduces the person of Jesus uh, to even the Jews who believe he was just some man. 
Every single other belief system in the entire world reduces the person of, Je of deity and elevates their own works. It is a works-based system of self-salvation to help their Jesus save them. But our Jesus, our Jesus is God Almighty and he doesn't need your help. He says, it is finished. It's done. And for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Because who's the one that gave the gift? Who's the one that did it? Who's, who was the one on the cross? The living God who's the Savior of all men? It's the gift of God. Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9. Even in that flat out says that Jesus is God. Because it's Jesus' gift. He gave himself. He is our gift. But it's the gift of God. Which is, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus says, and I give unto them eternal life, John 10. All throughout the scriptures we see the deity of Christ by the grace of God. The grace, have mercy on us, Jesus the Son of David. Mercy on us, the grace of God. For by mercy, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by the mercy of God, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. It's not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Word of God says. God who cannot lie. He who is not the author of confusion. But in all clarity and in all truth, we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men. Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. There you go. And all God's people said, Amen. Oh, I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to be there. But we're going to hear it with such power. It's going to be so absolutely wondrous. As it says, every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's going to be just, just unbelievable. The sound. The billions upon billions upon billions of people that will be there. Of every person since the beginning of time. Every man, every woman, every child, every angel, every devil, everything is going to be there in front of, front of the throne. And every knee is just going to hit the pavement. It's going to sound like thunder. And every single tongue that has ever been is going to cry out. Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. Every devil is going to be forced to bow and forced to say it. Satan is going to be forced to bow and forced to say it. The Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be forced to bow and forced to say it. Every single skeptic and denier and hater of God is going to be forced to bow, forced to say it. And that's why I'm telling you right now. Confess it now while you can, because if you don't, you will be made to, but it'll be too late. Confess it now while you live, while it is called today. Let today be the day of salvation. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Let today be the day of salvation.
Call upon the Lord now. Believe on the Lord what is called today. You may not get tomorrow. You may not get the next hour. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do not be a fool and put off the salvation and plan for a deathbed confession. Many young people even die, unfortunately. Many young people die. They don't even get to old age. You may not get the deathbed. That's why it's called accidents. Falling down stairs, car accidents, choking a chicken bone, heart attack, strokes. Who knows what happens? But our life is short, uncertain. God is giving you an opportunity right now to believe. You know what the truth is. His word is, his law is written upon your heart and you know that you're a sinner. We all know that we are sinners. We all know that we've been separated from God. We all know that we are guilty. We all know that Jesus is the Christ. Call upon the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you're the Savior. I know you went to the cross for my sins. You shed your blood for my sins. You were, and you were buried for three days and rose again. I believe, Lord, I believe. Forgive me of my sins. Lord Jesus, save me. Just like that. Just like that. First John 5.13 That ye may know that you have eternal life because you have believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That you may know. We know we have eternal life because we believed on Him. Our sins are forgiven by the riches of His grace. Ephesians 1.7 We are dwelt by the Spirit of living God when we when we heed and believe in the gospel of truth. Ephesians 1.13 Acts 10.43 Tim gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. Our sins are forgiven and we're indwelt by the Spirit of God the moment we believe on his name. The moment we believe on his name, his name which is above all names, at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 9 to 10. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Salvation. Confession from the heart. That's what it says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Who is this Jesus? What shall we do with this one called Christ? Whom say ye that I am? These poor blind beggars. Some of the mightiest preachers in the Bible. They only preached one message. One sermon. Which was one phrase. And they preached it to the multitudes. Great multitudes heard them. And they were blessed by God. Fame, fortune, certificates, diplomas, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you are, preach Christ. You don't know what to preach, preach Christ. You don't know what to say, preach Christ. Preach the gospel. You never go wrong preaching the gospel. Declare Jesus. 
Who is he? According to the word of God. Why should I believe on him? According to the word of God. What has he done for me? According to the word of God. What must I do to be saved? According to the word of God. Just preach scripture. Jesus, son of David, son of God, son of man, God in the flesh. That's it. I'll end it there. All right, so there we go, folks. So that's Matthew chapter 20. I hope this has been a help, a comfort, and encouragement to you. If you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give this a thumbs up, and make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon, so you know when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and content, as well as our website, christiancoffeetime.ca, which we have links to all other platforms and goodies and uh, free downloadable gospel track PDFs as well. We make our gospel tracks free. All of our videos are not monetized either. You can download these videos and share them around as well. It, you know what? If, you, if you're able to, this video, this broadcast that we've done today, share it with everyone in your email, in your email link. Everybody, you have an email up, send it to them. Text it to them. Send it around. Get the gospel of Jesus Christ out there. Tell others. Get the gospel out. Get busy. Like these poor blind beggars. What's your excuse? They were poor. Beggars. Blind. Homeless. They had no fancy education. They had nothing. But they had a voice. Poor, blind, homeless beggars. What's your excuse? Get busy. There you go. Amen, amen. All right, so with that, wrapped it up there. Thank you so much for joining, folks. God bless you. Um, I always, these are always my favorite ones. Uh, out of all the messages I give, the ones on the deity of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace alone, my two absolute most favorite things. I get so worked up, as you can tell. I get so worked up about it. It just it's, excites me to, to no end. It's the simplicity of this, the truth of this, the power of this, the power of the name of Jesus Christ. He reminds me, some of you might remember, um, years ago, I was back on Periscope. I was doing a gospel presentation and there was a fella that came in the chat and uh, he started ridiculing and all the rest of this and challenging all this. And and, and some of his arguments and stuff, I've, I could tell and figure out, put together, he was a Wiccan. He was a he was a practicing witch, and all of this, and so I, I I said I just stopped. I said, okay, second, can, can I just ask you a question? I says you uh, and I verified with him. He actually was. He confessed that he was a Wiccan. I'm like, okay, I got a question for you. How come? How come? Well, that every time you're doing your rituals, your spells, all of this stuff, you're doing your your practices, that how come every time the name of Jesus is mentioned, it cancels out all of your rituals and powers and spells? And he pipes back, all all anger says, "I don't know." I said, "Yes, you do. The name of Jesus cancels out every all of this and is." powerful and i explained him and showed him the gospel right there he got saved in that broadcast (laughs) he repented of all his sins and believed the gospel right there in the broadcast at the power of the name of jesus christ that's all it took that's all it took how great is our god amen how great is our god so there you go 
So praise the Lord, all hail King Jesus, for he is God and there is none else. So there you go. <clears throat> so with that, no other name, no other power, for there is no power but of God. So with that, I wrap that up there. Thank you so much for joining, folks. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who trust in the living God, the Savior of all men. All those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. All uh, God bless all those who love his word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.